welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and today we are going to be talking elk, elk, elk. It is mid-September, and I am a couple of days away from getting on an airplane and heading out to Montana for an elk hunt that I have been looking forward to for several years, which is uh, how long it's taken me to get this permit. And as I peruse my social media feed uh, over the last several days, it would appear to me that the elk rut is cranking up toward high gear because there are a lot of nice bulls that have hit the dirt in recent days and my guest today is one of the men responsible for one of those bulls that I saw out there in cyberspace and that is my friend uh, frequent Peterson's bow hunting contributor and now uh, frequent podcast guest uh, Jace Bowserman. Jace, welcome to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio. Oh man, Christian, I'm excited, man. It's always awesome to to talk with you, and then when we get to do it on the podcast, it's 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 so much fun. So I'm looking forward to to talking elk hunting and just just having a good time. It's like getting paid to tell hunting stories, right? It is, right? And that's that's the best part. <laughs> um, well, listen, first and foremost, congratulations to you, my friend, because um, you made a major milestone here just last week. And I believe when you texted me the photo of you and your bull, you told me that was the first six by six bull elk that you've ever uh, taken. So uh, kudos to you. Thanks, man. Yeah, that's always just been kind of a personal goal, you know, is, is, uh, I, as long as I've hunted in Colorado and, and been a resident in Colorado, I've never, I've never drawn, I've never pulled a premium unit tag. Um, and, and so, you know, I always, my deal is usually I shoot the first cow I see, I shoot the first, <laughs> I shoot the first legal elk I see. And so, um, you know, and, and, and the fact that this bull just happened to be a six by six, I mean, we didn't know he was a, a full six by six. We didn't, we didn't have any idea, but, um, when, uh, when the arrow went went off and my buddy Roy Lee was standing next to me, he he looked at me and goes, "Dude, that's a good bull." And I said, "I said, was he was he a full six? <laughs> so first thing I asked Roy, I said, "Was he a full six? And Roy goes, "Yeah, for sure, he's he's a full six. So that was uh, that was pretty cool, man. He's not a big six point, but he's a six six point nonetheless. And and uh, just felt really blessed to have gone on that trip, and it was it was just a good time. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, you know, it's it's often said, but very, very much true. Any elk with your bow is a true trophy. And um, it, I actually, I think it's kind of cool that elk hunting is still a little bit the way that maybe deer hunting was years ago. You know, deer hunting has gotten to be such um, an emphasis on management and antler score. And elk hunting Agreed. is... Elk hunting is still one of those things where, you know, you just know, like, you go out there and you kill an elk with your bow, people are going to tip their cap to you. And, yeah, I mean, if you kill a giant, you know, great. But but people know that it's it's not easy. And um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And for those of you who don't know... Um, you know, Jace lives in Colorado, but Jace doesn't live up in the mountains. Jace lives down. Uh, you're a flatlander, right? And by Colorado, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a prairie. I'm a prairie rat, man. <laughs> by Colorado standards, everybody always. When I meet people, they always, you know, Colorado. They hear you from Colorado. Oh, you must be an elk country. You're 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 a skier. It's like no, I'm I'm actually I'm not a skier at all. I hate skiing, and uh, elk are a little ways from me, so. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a prairie rat down here on the flatlands, man, where the where the pronghorn and uh, and muleys tend to roam. 
So, you know, even though it's not quite as far for you as it would be for me, about 24 to 30 hours of driving, you still have to pack up and leave home to go chase elk. So in some ways, even though you're a Colorado resident, you're in the same boat as a lot of the rest of us. Oh, absolutely, man. The thing that, you know, like Western, Western, the West is so vast and big and Colorado is a pretty big state. So like from my, from the time I, you know, pull out of my, my driveway here in La Junta and I drive to our hunt location, I've I've got six and a half hours of drive time. Um, by the time I, by the time I get to, you know, where we're actually going to, to, to set up our camp and, and start doing those things. So yeah, it's not just a hop, skip and a jump for me. Um, there's lots of areas of course that are closer to me than six and a half hours, but this is an area that we, my hunting partners and I have gotten very comfortable with over the years. We've had a lot of success in over the years. And one of the things that I really think is important for like the OTC elk crowd for the guys hunting public land, you're hunting an over the counter tag, you know, I know, and we, we were guilty of this too. I mean, we, we bounce around, you know, it's like, oh, we, we got to go here. 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 You know, it takes time. It, it takes time to learn a unit and it takes time to learn what those elk do and how they use terrain and where they stage up and where the hunt pressure is and where the hunt pressure is not. And, you know, those types of things. And, you know, the more you spend time in a particular unit, as long as that unit holds elk, as long as, long as you're not up there just, you know, man, I haven't seen a bull in five years. Yeah. We'll find a different unit for sure. But if you're, if you're, if you're in elk, if you're an elk sign, you know, you've got to give that unit time to, 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 you've got to give yourself time to learn that unit and to immerse yourself in that unit and, and to really educate yourself and research and, 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 and do those sorts of things. So, yeah. yeah so, so, so let's talk about that. You know, um, I know you were with two other buddies this year and, and I think that you guys have hunted together, you know, several times over the years. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your group, how you guys kind of came together, how you settled on, you know, the particular unit where you're, you've been hunting and, you know, how long yeah. you guys have hunted there, how long it take you to kind of, like you say, you get to know the lay of the land, you get a little bit of an idea of what the pattern uh, of the elk are in that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, my, my two buddies, JC Navarro and Roy Lee Scroggum, I mean, they're both, uh, they're just both really good friends. We've been friends for, um, been, been close friends for years. And, um, you know, the reason we settled on the area that we did is my buddy JC is actually a Wyoming resident. And, um, so, and me being a Colorado resident and Roy being from Kentucky, um, it was, it was easier for me to get a Colorado, of course, over the counter tag, because I'm not paying a huge fee. Roy could bank on knowing that he could get a Colorado OTC tag, even as a non-resident in this particular unit every year. And then being closer to the Wyoming border, we, we, we could bounce across. And then of course, JC could hunt on a Wyoming on his, um, on his Wyoming tag. And so that, that was a big reason we settled on that particular unit. Um, another reason is, uh, my buddy JC, I mean, he's, he's kind of honestly, like he's a, he's kind of an elk maestro, man. He, he gets it. He really, really, really gets elk behavior. And, um, he spends a lot of time, like literally just lots of time studying maps and studying areas. And, you know, we, we all started looking at, um, you know, the bull to cow ratio in that particular unit, hunter success rates, you know, we did the whole, we did the whole usual, we reached out to the biologists, we started doing those things. And, um, the first year we went into this particular unit, the very first year, Roy, Roy killed, um, Roy killed a really nice five by five. And, uh, I, I actually missed a bull and, um, you know, JC of course wasn't hunting. He, he ended up killing a bull in Wyoming, but you know, I guess we kind of went two for three there. And, um, we started to, we started to learn the unit that year. We, we just packed in deep, man. We, we, we basically set a base camp and we threw everything on our backs and we packed in deep and, uh, we stayed in there for, for several days. And then, uh, over the years of going in there, that, that, that kind of drum, I guess, you know, has gotten beat so hard where it's like, man, go deep, go deep, get that, you know, get eight miles off the road, get seven miles off the road, get, you know, well, okay. But you're walking a lot of times you're walking past really good elk ground, right? I mean, those elk don't know, they don't sit there and have a conversation like, Hey, we've, we've got to be seven miles off of the main road. They don't, they don't do that. They know where they want to be and elk are where you find them. 
so, you know, as, 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 as the years went by, we kind of adjusted our approach. One, we, we got older, right? I mean, <laughs> we all pride ourselves in being in pretty good shape, but we're like, okay, we, we don't want to be in the bad country seven miles sleeping in a coffin either, you know, staring up in a little bivy sack coming back to camp every night. I mean, so we started to, we changed our approach a little bit. And uh, now we, we actually, you know, we have all of our bivy stuff. We're ready to go in if we need to. But what we like to do now is, is just because we've learned the unit, and this would have never happened had we not learned the unit, what we like to do is we, we, we like to literally park off of main roads, like main traveled roads, and we like to set up a nice camp off of those roads. And then, you know, we, we bounce around. We have multiple spots marked on our Onyx maps where we can say, hey, today we're going to hit this spot. And today we're going to hit that spot. And tomorrow we're going to hit this spot. The evening's yours. Where do you want to go? And we have all these spots marked and we just bounce in and out of these areas. And, 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 and that's been really been um, our key to success, I, I think. So those are spots where you've either seen elk or seen a lot of fresh sign in previous years? Absolutely, man. Anytime we go into an area, and I think that's the big thing is you, you can't be afraid just to you know, you're driving along a main road, right? You, you know, we, we, what we started doing is we're, we're driving along a main road, main traveled, you know, forest road. And you look and you go, man, that looks good right there. You know, that, that, okay, well then get out of the truck and, you know, take, take, take an hour and a half and walk in there and see. And, you know, some spots will be a bust, but some of them you'll get in there and you'll either see elk, you'll hear elk, or you've come into a spot like where I killed my bull this year that we had visited and, it was just loaded with sign. I'd never seen more rubs in an area than I'd seen in this particular location. JC agreed. Roy agreed. You know, it was just covered up in rubs, though we didn't see elk. We didn't hear an elk. We're like, we're, we're coming back here. So those spots get marked and then it's, it becomes where you can jump into these spots. And because you're not packing in and going in and saying, okay, I'm packed in seven miles. I'm kind of limited to these three drainages and these three basins. We, we kind of stay, we're kind of staying more mobile, I guess you'd say. And that, that's by no, I mean, that was, that was all JC and Roy, honestly, man, I was, I was kind of hung up on the, um, let's say we got to keep going back. We got to keep going deeper. We got to keep going, you know, and they were both like, man, I don't, I don't think so. You know, I think we want to, we want to try this. And so we, that's what we've been doing and, and it's been paying off. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to be said for being one or two or three miles from the truck when you kill a bull than, than 10, right? Oh my God. Yes, man. <laughs> and, and I mean, you, you, you know, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not 30 anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 40 next year. And I promise you, man, we packed out, we packed out multiple elk over a really over a four day period. And like I was telling you before we started the podcast, I mean, mentally, I feel great physically. I actually went for a run yesterday and it was kind of a run. I don't know if I'd say I ran yesterday. I stumbled and bumbled through six miles. Um, and uh, other than that, um, yeah, man, I mean, you, your, your body just, um, you know, it's when you're, when you're packing that far and you're packing weight constantly on your back and you're traversing up and steep downhill terrain and those sorts of things, I mean, it just really starts to take its toll on the body. And that's another thing that I really think that, you know, helps hunting the way we do, because even though we're going just as hard, we're sleeping better at night. Right. I mean, you sleep better. I promise you, I slept better on this hunt in my cot in a, in a nice tent off of a camper, you know, a little nice tent that comes right off of a camper. It's part of the camper in my cot with a pillow from my bedroom at home. than I did in my bivy sack laying on the ground with the thermarest pad under me and, uh, you know, a coat for a pillow. And in addition to that, we're also eating better, you know, at night we're coming in and, you know, everybody's, you know, there's a camp stove there, there's a cook stove there. And you're, so instead of just boiling a mountain house, which we still did, we still eat a mountain house, but then, okay, you eat the mountain house and you replace some of the protein and lost carbohydrates. Okay. Now it's time for a cup of noodles and who wants a brownie, you know, who wants, Hey man, I got peaches here. Who wants an apple? And all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're, so you're replenishing all these lost calories. So you're sleeping better, you're eating better. And then when you get up that next morning, you know, and the grind starts again, you're still tired, but you, you, your body feels a lot better because you, you've given it the necessary sleep and nutrition that it needs to, to, to go out again and do it. Cause we don't miss a morning. That's our deal. Like we don't, we don't miss a morning. We don't sleep in, we don't take a day. Now, when we were in the back country packed in, you have to do that. You know, day three or four, you, I promise you, unless you're a superhuman, 
and and I know some people are and, and awesome for, 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 for that group. I'm not. Day three or four, I promise you that morning I was sleeping in. Well, what if that's the morning that was supposed to be your morning? You know, mornings typically for us are our best option. Um, so, you know, that's kind of a, a long way around it, but but I think that's something guys guys need to think about. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, like you said, it, packing in is great, but once you're in that deep, you know, you only have two feet to move you at that point. And like you said, that limits the amount of territory that you can cover in any given day. And if you want to go to a different area, there's only one way to get there, and that's to walk. Whereas <laughs> if, if, if you're a little bit closer to the road, you know, or you have a base camp right off of a main road, yeah, you're not going to get seven miles in on any given day necessarily, but, but you can drive you know, 30 minutes and hunt a completely different area every day if you want to, at least until you find out where the elk are, right? And then once you find elk, then you maybe focus in on a particular location. Dude, you, you hit the nail, you hit the nail on the head and and you, and you actually said exactly what happened. I mean, we killed Roy's bull. We killed Roy's bull. Um, right behind our camp. And, and the reason we camp there is because there's a drainage back there that, and we can talk more about this later about why we choose those particular areas, but there's a drainage back there. It's right behind camp. It's a mile walk, right? We killed Roy's bull back behind there. Well, the next morning, you know, like I said, we're not missing a morning, even though we packed the bull out, we didn't get back to camp till midnight. Still, we ate good. We still got that little bit of good, solid, you know, that good deep sleep that you need we actually drove exactly 30 minutes that next morning in the truck, parked the truck at a trailhead, boom, bombed up the mountain. And I mean, at with, before even legal shooting light, you know, we're sitting at the top of a mountain and just as you know, it's starting to glow, JC hits a, hits a locator bugle and bam, a bull answers. Well, another bull answers that bull and another bull answers that bull. And this was an area we'd been in previously on the hunt. This is the area that had, just more rubs and, and greasy sign and, and, and stink. But, you know, we didn't see elk in there, but we knew that that, that area held promise. So we, and that was in an evening. We went back a couple of days later in the morning and boom, we've got three bulls screaming at us and we are, you know, half a mile from the truck. Maybe, 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 maybe closer. That's beautiful, man. That's my kind of elk hunting because you're you're talking right? about turning forty. <laughs> I turn forty six next month, so and I mean, yeah, I'm you don't look on it. the 50, 50 side of forty, and ah. yeah, dude, the, the old the old knees and hips ain't what they used to be. You know what I mean? Oh, Listen, I, I, I do. I want to back up before we dive a little bit more into your actual hunt because yeah, go ahead. We, we kind of got into the logistics of camp and stuff like that, which was all really sure. good. Um, but I wanted to even take it one step back further and talk about like how you pick an area. Obviously, yeah. of all the states in the West, Colorado is probably the most famous, not only because you guys have a lot of elk, but just among those of us who are here in the East, uh, if you ask the average bow hunter here where to go out west for an elk hunt, most guys are going to say Colorado. And I think that's because sure. you guys have the most easily accessible elk hunt uh, in terms of you can get over-the-counter licenses every year. And a lot of your yeah. units are over-the-counter units. So, yeah, you know, there's tons of places in Colorado where you might need, you know, eight or 10 or even 20 points to draw, but there's sure. also probably half the state or half the, the, the state where there's elk that you can just go hunt every year if you want to. Um, so, so, you know, it's pretty accessible, but you mentioned some things earlier as far as like reaching out to the biologists, looking at hunter success mm -hmm. rates, Colorado mm -hmm. parks and wildlife has a lot of data on their website. Don't they, if you want so to much. start looking at the different units, what the elk populations yep. are, the bull to cow ratios, how many, um, yep. like hunters and days of effort they're putting in, in those different units and how many animals are actually yep. getting taken. It doesn't take, you know, a, a Ultimately, right, you're still going to get, have to get there and do the hard work and put boots on the ground and find animals. But you can certainly narrow the search down and select, you know, at, at least an area that you know is going to have some elk to try and find, right? No question, man. And that's that's the beautiful thing about Colorado is 
I looked it up the other day, Christian, I can't remember. So when one of you guys listening to this, I mean, I might be a little off here, but of our hundred and some, you know, elk units, like 70% of them are OTC units. We have a very, our OTC units far outweigh our limited draw units. So the options are really for, for, for the, for the guy coming in here, non-resident resident, any person can buy an over the counter Colorado license. I mean, the season's still going, if, if you said, hey, dude, I'm going to show up at your house tomorrow. Okay, great. We'll go to Walmart and buy you a tag. You know what I mean? You can still purchase the tag. And that's, that is what makes Colorado unique um, in that aspect. And then also, like you said, man, our parks and wildlife, I give them kudos because they have done a fantastic job with hunter information. I mean, there's a plan your hunt deal on the, on the website. Um, but what, what, what we really try to look for, what I really try to look for is I want to see the bull to cow ratio. I want to know what that is. I want to make sure that there's a decent population of elk and that's all on there. And then when I reach out to the biologist, I want to make sure there was no major winter mortality issues or uh, predation issues that that biologist has. Because here's the thing about talking to a biologist. Most of the time, you're not going to get them on the phone when you call, but they, everyone I've ever called has in any state has always called me back. And, and here's the reason I believe why is because these guys and girls, they're, they're spending all of their time, most of their time in the field, right? And then what do they do with all that information? All they do is they talk to a spreadsheet. They love it when somebody calls and has intelligent questions to ask them because they actually get to interact with somebody else that's interest, you know, that's like, oh my gosh, yes. Um, hey, we had a winner more and you might get more information that you want on why the winter mortality happened in this particular unit, but it's all good information and it will all help narrow, narrow that exact search. And, um, you know, the other thing to look for, and there's two ways to look at this guys. And, and this is really important. Look at hunter success rates in a unit. Okay. If you find a unit with hunter success rates over 10%, that's one. And it's an OTC unit. There's a, there's a few of them. There's not many. That's something to take note of, but remember on that same note that, everybody's looking at that as well. So you're probably going to run into more competition in those units. Okay. So on the flip side of that coin, another thing to look at is use a unit that let's say it has, you're like, man, it has a super high elk population, right? It's showing that the division is showing the counts are showing that the, the population is high, but hunter success rate is 3% in archery. Okay. Those are units that I take a really big look at as well because then I'm going to say to myself, okay, guys aren't getting it done, but you know, having that confidence and believing in your heart, Hey man, I'm going to go in and get it done. The elk are there, obviously, you know, and a lot of times a call to a biologist would be like, man, why, why do, would you feel the hunter success rates are so low in this, this particular area? Guys aren't hunting the right places. Here's where I think a guy needs to go. Um, you know, guys are going about this all wrong at this particular time of year. And you start, you start, um, using all that information. And before long, you, you, you've got a pretty solid pre-hunt plan to show up to. Interesting. So one thing that caught my eye, my eye, my ear, I guess, because we're talking, we're not uh, looking at each other. <laughs> um, you, you talked about going a half a mile from the truck that morning and yeah. bugling up like several bulls in short order, you know, before the sun yep. was even up. And yep. being an Eastern guy and not, you know, having done as much elk hunting as you have, one thing that we often hear, um, well, guys like you, you know, or, or your buddies sure. would tell a lot of Eastern guys like me, hey, when you guys go out there, don't be calling a lot. You know, everyone over calls. <laughs> the elk are not yeah, receptive Yeah, only to cow calling. call. Don't bugle. They don't if bugle you, anymore. Yeah, if bugle. you bugle and there's a bull within five miles, he's going to run ten uh, miles. And and yep. it's like, wait a second here. You guys just told me that you were in an over-the-counter unit where there could yep. literally be 10,000 other guys hunting. And you went half and a mile from the truck. <laughs> And, and and bugled in some bulls like before sunrise. Yeah. I'm like, tell me what's up with that. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's something all three of us have talked about and we really want to get the message out. Like JC would tell you the same thing. I'll tell you the same thing. Roy Lee would tell you the same thing. And when, when a guy tells you, hey, man, come out here and if you're in a pressure, don't call, don't bugle, especially just cow call. Bull butter, man. That's the best thing that I can tell all of you guys. That's, that's baloney. Um, we we overcall. Um, JC calls a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And so, um, 
the, the, the difference is this, and this is what, this is the biggest thing that I would tell anybody. It's knowing how to call elk. If you can set what will set you apart from, we were, we had hunters down the ridge from us. We had hunters across the road from us. Um, what sets that apart, what will set you apart from those masses is if you can take a diaphragm call and this is what, and if honestly having JC is cause JC is, is a next level elk caller. He's he, I, I, I cannot hold a candle next to him. Um, when you can use a diaphragm call to make true bull elk sounds, right? You can make a true locator call. You can make a true challenge bugle and it's not fluty and it, it, it doesn't sound like you're standing out there and we'll, we'll hear a bugle and we'll all just smile at each other. and like, gosh, dang it. That's a hunter. You know, when you're fooling other hunters and they think you're a bull, you're doing something right. And with your cow calls, it's the same thing. JC's a real, and I'm a big believer in it too. I really try to stay away from the read, the open read style cow calls, because if you listen to an actual cow and then make that mew on that read style call, they're not the same. They're not the same. So what, 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 what we like to do is we'll sit down and we'll pull up YouTube videos of Corey Jacobson. We'll pull up videos of live elk talking and sit there and you have to be honest with yourself, get that diaphragm call in and listen to, to Corey call, listen to a true elk call and then mimic those sounds back and practice and practice and then record yourself get a phone and record yourself and then be honest with yourself and be like, man, I'm getting better. This sounds like an elk. This is sounding better until you have the confidence to go out there. And in that moment, rip off a bugle that just sounds pure and crisp and, you know, like an elk would do. And same with the cow, you know, when you need to, when you need to make that cow call, you know, that is that that's, that's imperative. So we call a lot, like we call a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. We walk ridges and we will call every two or 300 yards um, from, from, the time we, from the time we start the hunt to the time we start moving back to the truck. And as we're moving back to the truck, even if we're coming across the same ridge, we stop and hit a locator bugle. We stop and hit a locator bugle because remember, it only takes one bull, right? It only takes one bull with the right attitude to want to work. And when you find that bull, then you can start working that bull. But you're only going to find that bull if you're not walking and calling and trying to find elk, you're going to bump elk. And that's what stinks. Um, so that's, you know, we didn't hear a, we, we didn't hear a bull Christian for the first two days of our hunt. We did not hear one single bull. And, and I mean, JC at one point, you know, he, he slammed his bugle back across his chest and he's like, this is just getting insulting. That was his exact words. He's like, this is just getting insulting. But we knew one foot in front of the other, keep going, keep walking ridges, keep bugling. Um, and then all of a sudden, man, the, the, the floodgates opened. So you were saying about calling a lot. Um, I don't think it's that unusual to not hear a, a bugle for a couple of days, especially when the weather's hot. You know, I don't know what it was like where you guys were hunting, but I was I've been watching the forecast for Montana sure. pretty closely. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. It, it looks like the conditions have been pretty poor uh a lot of days with with warmer than usual temperatures and and um i'm glad that it looks like things are starting to cool down now and actually the forecast for next week when i'm going to be hunting looks really nice for like lows in the 40s and highs in the 60s just pretty pleasant elk hunting weather but they've had 80s and 90s days here over the last week uh you know talk to me about weather how much that affects mm -hmm. the hunting and uh, yep. just how you deal with that. Yeah. I mean, so when we were there, uh, it was a full moon. <laughs> so we were dealing with a full moon and we were dealing with daytime temperatures in the, in the upper seventies. We had one night where one morning where we actually woke up to frost on the ground. And usually that's, you know, every morning. Um, so we were facing very hot temperatures. We were facing a full moon and, Honestly, like, 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 like we always say is you can't control the weather on your hunt. You know, the, there's two things, honestly, you can't control the weather on your hunt. You can't control the moon on your hunt unless you decide, Hey man, I'm going to go around the moon. Can't control the weather. Can't control the moon phase. You can't control what other hunters do. You can control two things on your elk hunt. You can control your attitude and you can control your effort. 
the only two things you can control. And if you constantly have a positive, good attitude and you continually put one foot in front of the other, even when the bulls aren't bugling, even when the weather's hot, even when you've walked into what you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm finally going to get one to answer and nothing does. You just have to keep going. And, and if you keep going, the floodgates will open eventually. I mean, you'll, you'll get to a place and it's like, oh my gosh. I mean, we went two days of not a bugle, two and a half days actually. And then the evening of you know, the evening of what would be the, yeah, the, the, the third day, um, Roy shoots his bull. The next morning, my bull's dead by eight o'clock the next morning. I mean, so we went from two and a half days of nothing to two dead bulls in less than, you know, what, 13, 14 hours apart. Yeah, well, I mean, when it's on, it's on, you know. I mean, it reminds exactly. me of some similar thing happened to Tim and I, you know, on our antelope hunt. We went like three, three and a half days of just nothing, nothing, nothing. Not not exactly for the same reasons as an elk hunt, but sure. the point is, you know, I ended up killing my goat uh, that, that fourth evening. And then the first thing the next morning, he's tagged out. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, literally same deal, right? You hunted days and days and nothing. And then within two, two hours, it's all over. So, uh, exactly. Got to exactly. keep going. You got to be out there to get them. And, uh, um, right. it's a big part uh, of elk hunting for sure. And, and elk hunting to me, I always say this, it's maybe it's an oversimplification, but uh, to me, elk hunting is like turkey hunting with bigger animals with giant antlers it's like because to me turkey hunting is one of those things where if you would if you would take somebody who never turkey hunted and you took them out for the very first time and you caught one of those days where every bird like within miles <laughs> is gobbling their head off and like every time you hit the call they're gobbling on top of each other and they're running into the decoys you would be able to like convince that person that killing a turkey is like the easiest thing in the entire world now two days later or just the next day even, you could take that yep. same person out to the very same spot and you could walk a 10 mile loop through the area and call every 200 yards and never hear a single gobble and never see a turkey. And that person would swear on their life that there were no turkeys in the entire area. And that to me is turkey hunting and elk hunting based on my relatively limited experience, is the same thing. When the elk are fired up and they're like bugling and they're running around and their bulls are feeling their oats and the cows are all randy, you can get like right up on them and you can feel like, man, anybody could come out here and like kill an elk. It's not that big of a deal. And yet I've been on other hunts where I walked up and down the mountain seven days in a row and hardly ever even saw an elk and I thought there's no elk anywhere and I'm like it's just like turkey hunting and turkey <laughs> hunting drives me nuts and well, we, you and I have talked about that yeah yeah and elk hunting drives me nuts sometimes too because it's like if they don't yeah. want to play what can you do you know and maybe that's my question here it's like what do yeah. you do when yeah. they literally won't open their mouth and they're not really moving very much either Yep. And, and, and all we do on that Christian is we face that on this hunt and we faced it in years past where, you know, as good a caller as JC is, as many spots as we have marked, um, you know, all those things we're, we're still not getting into elk, you know, um, and, and, and we're struggling and, and, and nothing's talking. And, you know, the only thing that we've all come up with our, our kind of motto, I guess what we've all come up with is nobody stops. You, you just keep going. And that's the benefit of hunting with a couple of good buddies because, you know, on Roy's day, we, we just take days. Roy's up, I'm up, JC's up. Then we repeat the cycle and everybody gets that full day. The other two guys are just working to make that guy's day great for him. That's, that's their job. Their job is to make that guy's day great. Their job is to keep his morale up. Their job is to be there for, you know, it's, 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 it's really a kind of a cool system. Um, but that's what we do. We just, we just keep each other positive. We just keep going. We just keep going into areas. And one thing too is, you know, on those times we we're scrambling, we're not spending, if we go into an area and there's zero elk sign in the morning, I promise you, we're not going back into that area in the afternoon. We just won't. 
um, the odds are much higher if you say, hey, the elk aren't here. Elk are great travelers. They're not in there for a particular reason, right? We went into one spot that was, had been proven good in the past, and we got in there. Tons of cattle, sign of cattle, right, which isn't a big deal. We've seen elk right with cows, but there was also a bunch of horse tracks. So we, we, in our minds, we, you know, put two and two together and said a roundup had just taken place in here. They just got these cows out of here. So that type of pressure has moved those elk. Okay, great. We didn't see a lot of elk sign. We're not coming back in here unless we have a reason, unless something tells us to come back in here. We're not coming back in here. And we just keep bouncing from spot to spot because you just got to keep going. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about the actual uh, encounters where you're, you guys sure. killed your elk. Were they were mm-hmm. they like your classic, you know, you're calling, the bull's <laughs> answering, you get the wind in your face mm-hmm. and you're closing the distance, or did was it something mm-hmm. a little more offbeat? They were all three really different, and I'll give you a quick rundown of all three because I think all three could help someone. Um, one thing to keep in mind that we try to do because – we try to pick spots because we're leaving off of a main road or trailhead usually that require a very strenuous uphill dis- uh, ascent out of the gate or a very strenuous downhill ascent out of the gate. Cause that does discourage people still, even though it's right off the road, it's like, yeah, I don't think I want to walk up there. Those are the spots we look at. And we also look at hunting very thick places. We like to hunt deep, thick, dark timber where pressured elk are likely to move to. Pressured elk are likely to move to darker, thicker areas where one, they can avoid people. They can get away from people quickly. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a good tip. Um, so Roy Lee, um, we ended up going back in behind camp and, um, we, we hit a bugle. Um, Roy actually hit a bugle. I was running the video camera and JC was, was calling as well. Roy hit a bugle and we got our, that was our first answer. First answer of the hunt. Boom. He, he hammered back. It was obvious. It was a bull. Um, the bull was probably 500 plus yards away up on another ridge. And that's where you can't get complacent. You know, a lot of guys will drop stakes right there. Like I'm going to call that bull to me. Probably not. You, you, you know, he didn't, he didn't start bugling on his own. He just answered a locator bugle. We gave a locator bugle. He answered back. We gave him some time. He didn't respond again. So rather than getting crazy, we started to push in towards him. We knew he couldn't see us. We knew we had the wind. We're checking it with our puffer bottles we get down into a bottom where we're now like probably 250 yards from where we think he is. Um, and we hit a bugle. He doesn't answer, but another hunter answers us just down the drainage. Um, he answers us. So we're like, Oh gosh, now what do we do? You know? Um, so that other hunter was obvious. He thought, you know, JC's calling at this time was a real bull. That guy probably bugled 35 times over a period of, I mean, it was just bugle, 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 wanting us to answer. He wasn't going to come to us, but he wanted us to answer. So we just stayed quiet. He hadn't moved. So we're like, okay, you know, we're good to move around. So we just stayed quiet, moved up the ridge. We figured that's what the bull did. He didn't like all that repeated noise, moved up the ridge. We, we moved up the ridge, got on top. And when we got on top, because because that guy had been bugling so much, JC just let out a real soft cow call, just a simple mew, just a meow. You know, he mewed and it was instantaneous. This bull screams and he's close. He's within 70 yards close. We're in some real small, there was a burn there and there's a bunch of little aspens growing and uh, Roy knocks an arrow. I turned on the video camera, JC uh, mews again and the bull bugles, he's closer. And I look to my left and I said, Roy, I can see his tines. He's coming up through the trees and I can see Roy turn. And then I see Roy draw and I'm watching through the viewfinder and that bull stops, kind of starts to angle to his right. He's about 16 yards and whack. Roy shoots and hits a limb. And I can see it in the viewfinder. I can see the arrow deflect. And JC immediately, yeah, you know, he cow calls. And that bull kind of took a few steps and looked back, but he was so in rut. He was covered in mud. He'd been in a wallow. He was fired up. And so um, he stopped him. I mean, that bull's looking right at Roy. And Roy knocks another arrow, 16 yards bump shoots him that bull's dead um we spent the night packing the bull off the mountain boning out meat throwing it in our packs and uh yeah then then the conversation back at camp was you know jace where you want to go tomorrow and jc and i and roy talked about it and so we need to go back to the area with all the rubs tomorrow is going to be the coldest morning based on our weather forecast we should have some frost on the ground 
and got up there. Like I said, we were literally a half mile from the truck, climbed that big ridge. Like I was talking about a huge ascent. I mean, really steep ascent out of the gate, got on top, got three bulls bugling and the bull we ended up going after, um, did not really want to break. He wasn't really coming towards us, even though we were within a couple hundred yards, but he was down in a little depression. We could tell looking at our onyx maps, we could tell by the terrain. So JC kept the bull bugling and Roy and I literally just walked to him. We just walked, slipped through the timber, going a little bit at a time. And uh, we got to a spot where the bull's bugling and you can hear, I mean, you can just hear everything and you know, he's close. And I happened to look over my left shoulder at Roy. We're standing in the open. And, uh, you know, that's another thing you got to get in front of cover. But anyway, um, looked over at Roy, Roy's making the motion, like draw your bow. So I come to full draw. I still don't see the bull, but when your partner tells you to draw your bow, that's another thing you've got to listen. He sees something that you don't. Roy's a great hunter. I drew my bow and I just heard something and I looked to my right and there's the bull walking up the hill. He comes into 18 yards and he has us pegged at that point. He's just standing there, um, full frontal. Um, but you know, on an elk, I'm a firm believer in the fact, and, and I know some people will disagree, but nine inches, about nine inches above that sternum bone, you've got a good grapefruit sized opening. And if you put your arrow in that opening, that bull's going to expire quickly. And I buried the arrow up to the fletch and, and we were celebrating, we were crying. I mean, we'd killed two public land bulls and you know, that far apart. And, uh, yeah. And then JC's bull a uh, day and a half later, we're getting into a lot of elk and, but we just happened to be walking along and Roy looked up a trail and this bull's walking on a trail, coming to a wallow. We sat down and JC shot him. <laughs> that was it. That's the three encounters. He was just coming down the trail towards you guys. And you were like, just off the trail. Just, we had no idea. Yeah. We, we were just pushing through doing what, doing what we doing, what I was, you know, doing what we do, just walking a ridge calling, you know, we got a few answers that morning. Things had kind of gone quiet and we're just pushing up this ridge. And, you know, Roy goes, bull, bull, bull. And we happened to look and this bull's walking. In a tra- he literally walked right at us. JC shot him point blank range. Um, again, his was also a full frontal point blank range. Bull goes 40 yards, boom, dies. And then, you know, afterwards we wanted to be, you know, we always try to figure out the next part of the story. Like why was that bull walking down that trail? You know, not just, Oh, we got lucky. We did get lucky, but there was a reason that bull was walking down that trail. What was it? So we know for future. Well, there was a massive wallow I mean, massive wallow just destroyed. He was coming to that wallow. You know, it was the middle part of the day. He was either coming to get a drink out of the stream that fed it, or he was going to go wallow. So, you know, again, mark that spot, put it in the memory bank and it's another place to go check. Even though you got lucky, the, the sun shined on you. You know, the good Lord said, today's your day. But don't be, don't settle with that. Go the extra mile and decide, okay, what happened and why? And figure that out and then put it in the memory bank. I'm glad that you talked about the full frontal shot because that's something I wanted to discuss. Um, Sure. I think Corey Jacobson has a video, a YouTube on that, and I watched it just the other day because uh, obviously I'm thinking about that shot a lot as my elk hunt is approaching. And... Um, you know, just for the exact reason of what you just described, you know, in a couple of your instances, you know, if you're calling an elk to you and it's coming, right? I mean, there's only one way. I mean, elk don't walk backwards, you know, very often. No, they don't. (laughs) They typically are going to walk forwards to come to you. And that means that when that elk spots you, um, as they often will, as they get pretty close, he, you know, they're likely to be standing facing directly towards you. And then you've got a decision to yes. make. Um, I've never attempted that shot, you know, and mm-hmm. sure. it's, t- I know that like Corey says, it's devastating. You just told me your elk only went 40 yep. yards. Um, um t- yeah. T- talk to me more about like, how to take that shot, where to aim, mm-hmm. and, and like, do sure. you get good blood trail? I would think you would because you're shooting oh, it in the neck, Dude. but, like, I'm concerned about, like, <laughs> yeah. hitting, hitting one there and having it get away or sure. something. Okay, so that's a huge thing. Let's let's do talk about that. Yeah, Corey's a big believer in it, um, of the frontal shots. 
Um, I know I've read several of Kurt Wells, you know, articles, Kurt, Kurt's a, Kurt's a believer. And I know lots, we all are. And, and, and here's the deal with, with, with the full frontal and why you need to be able guys, if you're going to come West and hunt these places to be able to take it, because it's especially when you're hunting in thick, thick timber, like we like to hunt. A lot of times, all a bull's going to do is he's going to step into an opening through some aspens, through some pines, and he's just going to stare. And that's all he's going to expose is his head and his neck and his front part of his chest. And that's probably all you're going to get. And if he's in that 20 to 25 yard range, you need to know that nine inches, roughly nine inches above that sternum bone, that bone that sticks out, it's very distinct. And it looks like you're in the neck because you are in the neck. There's a grapefruit-sized, little larger opening. And if you put your arrow in there, you are going to completely take him out. Completely take him out. Um, that's where I shot my bull. The bull goes. and uh, When you hit an elk poorly, or even when you double lung an elk or hard shoot, whatever, a lot of times that elk will just break timber, right, for a long, long ways. I shot my bull there. The bull literally took about five bounds went down back into the little gully thing that he came out of and just stood there shaking his head. And as he's shaking his head, talk about blood, Christian, we've never seen blood. He's just throwing blood out of his neck when he's swinging his head. You can, he's just throwing it. It's everywhere. But he was still on his feet. And guys, this is something you make up your own mind. Here's my tip. Elk are massive animals. They're big and they are tougher than about anything I've ever seen. That bull was still on his feet. He was 42 yards away and I had a quartering away shot. I'm shooting. And I did. And I hit him again because if an elk, if, if you have a, if you have a shot and that bull's still on his feet, don't, don't take the chance of, Oh my gosh, was the first shot fatal? Absolutely. But again, I want to make sure that bull expires as quickly as possible. I want to make sure that I get that meat and you know, so if a bull's all still on his feet, shoot it. Um, typically, with that type of now did, with that now type did, of that, entrance. Now, did your bull? Did he go anywhere at that point? After he went he um, after time? that. He 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 walked really slowly into the timber, and then you know we just sat down, and then you could hear you could hear timber breaking, and then you could hear him kind of you know you could hear that gurgling sound of lungs, and then it got quiet. And then just to err on the side of caution, you know, we gave him a couple, gave him a couple hours and, uh, yeah, walked over and he's stone dead, you know, less than, less than a hundred yards from where, where I, where I shot him. Um, and talk about blood, man, when, when you shoot him in the full frontal like that, you're, you're getting a big hole right in that area. And most of the time, you know, that arrow is going to go in and it's going to create, you're, you're, you're carving a wound channel. And every step that bull takes, because he'll drop his head, is just pushing blood out the front. He's, it's just pushing blood out the front. Um, so you typically get a good blood trail. Um, and, if, and if you hit that spot well, I mean, you, 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 you're going to recover that animal. What kind of a broadhead uh, do you like to shoot mm-hmm. for elk? I am a full believer in expandables. Um, uh, I, I've shot too many critters with them to not be all three of these elk. And this is, we, you know, hundred percent. We shot all three of these elk with severs. Um, we shot them all with sever expandable heads, titanium heads, and all three bulls. I mean, Roy's was completely broadside. Roy got a complete pass through and JC and I buried ours. I mean, up to the, basically up to the knock in, in the, in the, in the frontal and both all three of them, you know, all three of them died super fast. I like an expandable head for several reasons. Yes, I get the fixed blade thing, but I like an expandable head for several reasons. I like, I like to cut a big hole. I like the trauma that it, that, that, that it, that it causes. And mentally for me, more than anything is, is confidence. Um, you know, after, after our, uh, after our access hunt that we went on, you know, going into this fall, I was super unconfident, man, for, for guys, I'll tell you, I had a rough hunt and it was bad. And so you have to have confidence in your equipment. So if you have confidence in a particular broadhead, the broadhead will do the job if you put it where it needs to be. I mean, that's always, I think guys get too hung up on, well, yeah, that shoulder bone. I don't care if you hit an elk shoulder bone, 
with a with any broadhead. I mean, if you straight seven, if you hit it in that shoulder bone, you can forget it. I don't care what you shoot. I don't care how many pounds you're shooting. I've seen guys. I mean, it just isn't going to happen. So put it in the spot that it needs to be. Shoot the broadhead that you're most comfortable with and that you believe in the most, and and go that route. I would stay away from if you go for the expandable route. I would stay from away from aluminum ferrules. I'd stay away from you know, two and a half inch cut head, that sort of thing. Cause you're losing a lot of energy. You know, um, I like a good, good inch and a half cut, um, you know, inch and three quarter cut, um, sleek, um, you know, titanium or all steel ferrule expandable and you're good to go. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, I've shot them with both. And, uh, the only thing that I don't, like about the expandable heads for elk hunting is sometimes you're moving through so much brush while you're stalking that you can get blades coming open when you don't yes. want them to be um yep. and then i've i've been in situations before um where you're actually getting ready to shoot and you look down at the end of your arrow and you've got a blade hanging out and you know that the mm-hmm. arrow's not going to go where you want it to go so now you've got to deal with that and 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 so that's one of the reasons why i actually like a, a fixed blade head for for elk hunting but sure. not be, not sure. because not because a mechanical head won't do it because i've killed um i i've killed uh an elk with with uh, a rage head and there was a cow and i actually heart shot her and she didn't go 50 yards um it was right. very very effective um but uh but yeah i'm going to be shooting next week i'm going to be shooting muzzy trow cars actually on that hunt great and, great uh, head that's great, a good head, head probably. yeah if you can bury one yeah. of those inside of a body cavity i think that it's going to it's over be bad news <laughs> <laughs> it's over and and again but i mean it, i i love it i it all goes back to right now that's what you're most confident with i mean that's what you're feeling good with I, I, I don't care what broadhead a guy shoots, as long as he's confident with it and as long as he feels like when he lets that arrow go, it's going to go where he needs, needs it to go. And if you, if you have that going into your hunt, you know, just just make sure of that. And, and, and one final thing on the shooting side of things, and Roy did this so well, he always does. If you do get that broad shi- broadside shot on a bull, guys, stay away from the front shoulder area <laughs> of that bull. Just think of how large that animal is and how far back those lungs go and go center of the body and think ribs and relax. You know, um, one of my buddies says that all the time, man, when you get ready to shoot a bull ribs and relax, if the last thing that comes into your mind is, Ooh, stay away from that shoulder. It's like chasing an arrow in a 3d target, right? You guys shoot 3d. You, you realize, man, I, I, I chase arrows all the time. And you, the last thing in your mind is shoulder. Well, where do you think possibly that arrow could go? Right? So what I always tell myself is if I get that broadside broadside shot is ribs and relax, ribs and relax. I know I have a massive spot to hit. So that's just something to keep in mind. No, that's great advice. And I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because, of course, I've been, uh, you know, I've been out in the yard a lot here recently getting ready for this hunt shooting. And um, yeah, I've, I've got one of those uh, those Reinhardt mini elks, third scale elks. Yeah, so those are great, them. man. They're gr- it's great. And the thing is, they're tiny. That that target, that's actually sure. a relatively small target. It's smaller than a, a full grown whitetail, that target itself. Oh, easily. Yeah, and, easily. And, and so, but the thing is, I'm mostly a whitetail hunter and I'm almost always when I'm whitetail hunting, I'm trying to go right behind that front shoulder. Like, I'm trying to heart shoot sure. Because whitetails, scapulas, like, you don't want to hit a whitetail right in the knuckle of the shoulder. But if you hit even, like, the little back edge of the shoulder blade. Oh, you're it's going, blowing it, through. It's going yeah. right through. It's going right through. I don't yep. worry about that. But you don't want to do that on an elk. And No, they're so big boned. Yeah, and I find myself like just pounding behind that shoulder on that Reinhardt elk target. And I've been, I actually, but that target isn't that big, but I actually have been talking to myself out in the yard just about like, 
dude, just go like a little higher and a little further to the left because when you have an actual bull elk standing out there that weighs, you know, a thousand uh, pounds, that's going to be <laughs> like a freaking like the side of a cardboard box, you know, is his vital yep. area. And I'm like, why not? Yep. Yeah, exactly what you just said. Like, why try and crowd up on that shoulder? Just go out in like the middle of the lungs and be done with it. And that way, if you miss three inches either way, you're not going to hit anything hard. <laughs> you know? Yep. You're in liver. You're in liver, or you're in the front of the lungs. That's the way I think about it. In a liver shot elk, a true liver shot elk, he's done. He's done fast. If you catch the liver real good, he's going to go lay down, and it's over. So, yeah, man, it's so, so important to, to, to just avoid that shoulder. And what you said is I talk to myself before I shoot. I mean, in my, I don't verbally verbalize it, but in my mind, I'm talking to myself. It helps calm down. When you have a bull the size, you've seen them. When you, for, for you guys coming out and the first time you have a bull come in and he's slobbering and screaming and spraying urine all over himself, and you want to talk about, you know, rattling, you know, uh, being on the verge of epic meltdown, it can happen in a hurry. And so the more you talk to yourself mentally, the easier it is to ignore all of that and just keep telling yourself, okay, first opportunity, ribs and relax, ribs and relax. I can make a full frontal. I can make a full frontal on this elk. I've been shooting nine inches above the sternum. Boom. I'm going to bury it to the fletchings. This is going to happen. Positive thinking before you shoot is, is so important. If you're thinking about ways not to screw up the shot, that's problematic. Um, <laughs> it really is. And we all go through it. I, I go through it. Everybody goes through it. If you say you don't, good for you. But I think, honestly, I mean, I have bouts where, you know, I've, I've gone to shoot an animal and been like, oh, just please, just please, God, let me make this shot. Well, that's that's fine. But in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm subconsciously, I'm, I'm not making that shot because I haven't made that shot in my mind. Make that shot in your mind. Make it happen in your mind. Talk yourself through it. Yeah. I, I actually, I, I think I've mentioned this before. It sounds super corny, but like when I have a big white tail that's coming in, as, yep. soon as, as soon as I see him like coming in, I start telling myself, dude, you are a stone cold killer. And you're gonna kill this. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Like I tell it's myself that. Isn't that you so stupid? To. Like I'm not a no, stone cold killer. No, I don't killer, think it is. But but I yes, tell myself. I literally tell myself. I'm like, dude. <laughs> don't you let him are, lie to you. He is a stone cold killer. You I are a killer. Shoot. I'm like, you are a killer, yes. and you are gonna make this shot. And like, it does help. I think it helps. Um, I'm gonna. I am gonna actually do. I never do this. You know how some guys write a little saying on their piece of like paper or something and they tape it to the yep. back of their riser yeah yep. um yep. i never have done that before but in honor of you jace because i really like ribs and relax i am actually going to write Amen, ribs man. and relax and i'm going to tape that because i'm going to be hunting i mean i'm a fat ass you know i'm not a hardcore guy like you i'm going to be on an <laughs> i'm an outfitted hunt you're so. pretty hardcore I'm with you. i don't care i'm hunting with you don't let him fool you. Christian plays the super humble role, and I love it, but he's a shooter. I promise you. He's a shooter. I'm on an outfitted hunt, and so I'm hoping that I'm going to get that broadside shot just because my guide, right? I mean, if let's say we, we find ourselves in a one of those classic elk hunting situations that we all fantasize about, and we've got a bull that's fired up and he wants to come in, hopefully— sure. You know, we're going to be able to set it up so that I'm in position for a shot and he's maybe calling the bull past me or something. And so I've got that classic broadside shot. And that's what I want to think about, man, when I'm drawing that bowstring back. Ribs and relax, you know. Let's not overcomplicate this. Take the take the big, wide open kill zone and just center it, you know. Yep. And then I'm, yep. I'm going to call you right away and be like, Jace, I did it. I did it, buddy. Ribs, I ribs and relax. I ribs and relax. That's. And, 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 you know, you and I, I mean, I know at least, I mean, I know you will shoot attention, uh, attention act or resistance release, um, a lot. And I shoot a true, I shoot a hinge and, you know, the more you relax, you and I, you, you know, this as well, the more you relax, the less you're going to have to fight. You don't want to be fighting that release. You know, you need to let the release shoot the bow. And when your body starts to relax and you tell yourself that man, ribs and relax, ribs and relax. <laughs> I mean, it just it just blows apart and you know, good things happen. So, um, I'm excited for you, man. I'm ready. I'm ready to hear the story. I'm ready to see, see pictures. I've, I've seen some of the, 
the videos that the guys are sending you that you've posted on uh, social media. And, uh, yeah, dude, it looks like you're, you know, you're going to be in for a good hunt. I know it's a good premium tag. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that three of my elk, it will take three of my elk to make one of yours. That's what we're going for. I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know about that. I mean, it's, it is a good area. And the thing is, you know, it's funny. The, uh, the outfitter swears that there's 400 inch bulls in the area. Now he didn't sure. say we're going to see one or we're going to kill one. He said, you know, I'm, he's like he actually told me. He said, I, I'm, I'm not telling you that like it's easy to kill one, but he's like they're they're out there. But the point is, you know, yeah, there's there's probably quite a few like. 350 bulls you know in the area maybe some better and hey i'm going to tell you the same thing i told him i'm like yeah we're going to shoot the first good one that comes in <laughs> sure <laughs> so, absolutely it's an elk hunt, dude that's the thing is it, come back to right where we started this episode dude yep. it's an archery yep. elk hunt and yeah and so what hard. i have a tag that took four years to draw guess what the elk still aren't going to be tied up to a tree they're still not just yep. going to come in and volunteer to die it's it's nope. no guarantee. It just is a little better, um, you know, managed unit in terms of the size of the animals, and, and probably yep. a little better in terms of the amount of hunting pressure. But but it's not a slam dunk by not any means. Yeah, I would be no. I would be lying if I said, oh, Jace, I I just know I'm going to go out there and get a giant. I mean, you <laughs> just you never know. That's why they call it hunting. You never know That's right. what's going to happen. Now, you have to wake up every day and believe that today is the day. You know what I sure. mean? Sure, and that's the big key. I agree. And and being opportunistic, man, and being doing what makes you happy. I mean, my buddy JC, and I know we're running short on time, but my buddy JC Navarro, he, he shot a 370 bull in Wyoming two years ago. I mean, just the bull of a lifetime, right? I mean, this bull is gorgeous. Pu- pushing 380. He always says, call it a 370 class bull when you refer to it because it's not 380. So it's a 370 class bull. Last year, he shot a four point in Wyoming. And this year, the bull he shot was, you know, 220, 225 inch, five by five. And he's elated with those bulls because that's what it is. He, he was fortunate and he shot a 370, but that doesn't mean every year that he sets his expectations of that. Come out with realistic expectations, guys, especially if you're hunting an over-the-counter unit on, on public land. Uh, it doesn't matter. Just it doesn't, it have realistic expectations. Don't come out and expect to, you know, you hear a lot about the 300 mark. Oh, it's dry. oh man, I just want to break 300. 300, it takes so many inches of antler to, to break 300. Roy Lee's killed eight bulls in nine years here. Eight bulls in nine years. And his biggest is 280. And that bull looks like a monster when you look at it in the pictures. Even when you see it, it, it takes a lot of horn to make 300. So come out with realistic expectations. Shoot a bull. Shoot a cow. You know, have fun. Make contact with those elk and just, just enjoy yourself. Make it about that and not breaking a certain inch mark. Good advice, man. There's nothing like it. It's about the experience, you know. It really is. So much. And uh, so much. I'm glad. We'll close it on this because we do have to wrap it up. But, dude, every time we get on together, it's an hour before you pick. It is. It really is. A little over an hour, but it's good information, and I think people are going to be hungry for an elk episode right now. And uh, sure, I'm thrilled. You know that you got three for three, three for three on public land. What are the odds of that? Show me how many. Show me how many guys had a group of three hunters that went out west this fall and, and public land elk and all tagged out. I can tell you, you guys are among select company on that regard. Yeah. So we do feel blessed about that for sure. And and you know one of the biggest portions of that and and you know you got to give credit where credit is due and and that's just JC and Roy's ability to call elk. Um, they're much better callers than I am. You know, I, I'm a turkey caller, um, an elk caller. I can make do, but these guys are, these guys put their heart and soul into knowing and learning how to call. And I feel very fortunate to be able to, to hunt with them and to, to just, it's a special group. And when you find a group like that, you know, it's just, it makes it all that much more enjoyable. So yeah, man, it was, it was awesome. Well, uh, thanks so much for your time, Jace. I will uh, be sure to, 
um, keep you up to date throughout the week. I'm hoping that uh, I'll be able to get some social media updates throughout the week, let people know what's yeah. happening. But uh, I'm, I'm pretty pumped, man, because like I said at the beginning, you know, I, it seems like things are, are cranking up good. I think the weather's going to cool off and hopefully we run into a couple of those good days because just like turkey hunting, all you really need on an elk hunt is you know one really awesome morning or evening where they're going nuts and you can get it done it can it can get over in a hurry so it can be over before you know it 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 can go from mission impossible to seeming like this is never going to happen this is impossible this animal's a unicorn to that was the easiest thing ever i mean it it just can go it can become go from the worst hunt to the best hunt like that and I like I like the fast fast ones like that because it gives you less time to think about it. You know, it's just less like, time. Roy had very little time. <laughs> both of us. JC had a while. He's come down a trail, so kudos for him. But Roy and I had seconds to yeah. to, to to think about it. Um, so that that definitely helps. Some of the best hunts are when you like you shoot and you like look over and you're like your eyes are as big as saucers and you're like, did that yeah. just happen? Did that just happen? Yep. <laughs> yep. That's, that's what happened with mine. I looked at Roy and I was like, Dude, that's, he's, and I said, is he a full six? And Roy's like, yeah, he's six. He's six. I was like, and we're shaking, you know, cause then he's down off the hill and Roy's like, no, 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 hit him again. Hit him again. I was like, okay, we're going to shoot him again just to make sure. But yeah, it was great. Oh, Dude, you've got me fired up. That's it. We gotta go. Good. God, go get him. Go get God him. bless you, my friend. Thanks again. You too, bro. Thank you for listening to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bow hunters. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com. 